Hello and welcome back to Gentle Man, redefining manhood in the 21st century. My name is Arjuna. I'm your host. I've not been active on this podcast for a long time, just due to a number of factors in my personal life and focusing on other projects. This project was always intended to be something that I just came back to as I felt the need. And today is such a day. I was inspired to come back and record something in the wake of the brutal police murdering of George Floyd in Minneapolis, which happened just a few days ago and has stirred up the whole nation as a result. There's, there's just so much to say and to unpack around this. I'm certainly not going to be able to do the situation any kind of full justice here. Just compelled me as one person with a microphone to speak some of my thoughts about it. If this is interesting to or helps anyone at all, then that's fine. And if not, that's fine. Partially, it's just for myself to unpack some of the thoughts that the event inspired in me. First of all, I watched the video of the murder, the kind of the big one that circulated in social media. It's about 10 minutes long and it shows most, it shows most of the murder. It definitely shows the point at which George Floyd is basically unconscious and perhaps even dead in that moment. I mean, within seconds of watching the video, I was just in tears. I mean, it's just, it's hard to imagine watching that, watching that video and not being profoundly immediately moved by it. Might be the first time I've ever witnessed a cold-blooded, calculated murder with my own eyes. Not in person, but witnessing it nevertheless. If you haven't watched that video yet, I strongly encourage you to do so, even though it's very uncomfortable even though it will probably make you feel profoundly disturbed. I think it's important, perhaps not every time, but sometimes I think it's important to watch video evidence like this. This stuff's real, it's happening. It's happening in our communities. It's happening all over America. It's happening all over the world, really. Racism is a really, it's a deep and malignant thing. It's not for those in the back of the room who haven't been paying attention. It's not something that was solved. It's not even particularly something that a lot of nations have made much headway on. Some would argue no one's made any headway on it. I don't think that's exactly true, but I think suffice it to say that the deep cancerous suffering of racism upon the face of humanity is it's ongoing. And there are forces out there that willfully try to continue it, support it, stoke it, stoke the fires of it. People are out there actively promoting it. It's so naked. And I think that police forces are one of the places it's most shamelessly, nakedly on display. The fact that a police officer in broad daylight could, with witnesses standing there filming him, and other police officers nearby, including presumably his patrol partner standing right next to him, the fact that a police officer like that could just so coldly and brutally murder a black man points to a kind of, it points to a state of privilege and a state of impunity, which is truly remarkable. The fact that that police officer felt like it was going to be okay for him to do that, felt like the systems in place were going to protect him doing that. 
felt like he had the power and the mandate and the weight of enough behind him that he could just do that and walk away and not have that be the end of, of his effective life as a free citizen. The fact that that was possible is just deeply disturbing. It's deeply disturbing. And it, it just highlights the fact that, and I actually didn't know this until this particular incident, but it highlights the fact that the police force in the United States has its roots in slavery. The prototypal police forces before they were government institutions were actually slave patrols. People citizens patrolling the streets, hunting down, intimidating, controlling slaves back before slavery was abolished. So it's no surprise that fast forward to today and police forces around the nation are still some of the most, if not the most, racist institutions in the country. And it's not a surprise that the techniques that they use and the violence and the murders of innocent Black people continue. First and foremost, I just want to address that this is 100% a hate crime, a racist hate crime. It should go without saying, but it actually needs to be said that Black Lives Matter and that this country is still incredibly racist and still has so much work to do to unpack that, to address racist institutions, the citizens themselves, to examine themselves and think about the ways in which they're racist. This podcast was started with the intention of being focused on men and men's issues. And so while I could spend a whole episode just talking about racism as its own issue outside of gendering, I do actually feel there's a strong male component in all of this, which I think bears talking about. Police forces are predominantly run by men. Police officers are predominantly men. Administrators, people working in justice departments around the country, predominantly men. Not just in those institutions either. I mean, in a lot of institutions, predominantly male. This isn't news to anyone. But I think that there's a particular aspect of the male psychology which goes into wearing a uniform and carrying a gun. And we see this in the army and the various branches of the military. We see this in militia. We see this in security guards. Anyone wearing a uniform, carrying a weapon with a mandate to protect something with the very possible authorization of killing people in service of that mandate and being protected in doing that by the state. There's a very particular kind of deep psychology there, and I believe in many ways a very male psychology there. Warriors have historically been largely male. It's one of the most clear ways in which men have historically been linked with violence. It's one of the foremost ways in which you see men inflicting violence, being authorized to be violent, being encouraged to be violent. Maybe in some cases, you know, in wars, having the imperative, they must be violent. So this goes back through the ages. It's an old one. People wearing uniforms and killing other people, and specifically men wearing uniforms and killing other men. It's really ingrained in the male psychology. And you see this with children. So many young boys will play war. Young boys are obsessed with guns and tanks and aircraft and battleships and this deep military fascination. 
And, you know, you can make any number of arguments around nature versus nurture on that one. And would girls do that too? Yada, yada, yada. That doesn't really interest me. The fact remains that it is just a male fixation. And I think it speaks to a number of aspects. I think it speaks to the wholesale endorsement of male violence in human cultures. The notion of a warrior being strong and honorable and standing for the principles of their culture. It's a very deeply ingrained image. The notion of violence as service is very deeply ingrained. The idea that your violence is protecting your country, maybe protecting your family. A lot of people personalize it that way. We fight for our wives and children at home, that kind of stuff. And I think that this idea of the nobility of the violence and this lofty notion of what you're serving in that role has really been, it's not in and of itself a bad thing or a necessarily malignant thing. But what is malignant is that all of these other strains of immaturity, hatred, cruelty, and various kinds of institutional biases such as racism, sexism, xenophobia, they all become woven in. It's such a fertile ground for it to become woven in. And I think one of the main reasons for that is, is that people who wear uniforms and carry weapons and are empowered to kill people are powerful. So I think a lot of this comes down to a meditation on power and specifically male power. When you think of female power, it's a different kind of power that comes to mind. It's a different kind of power that's in the archetype. It's not to suggest that women can't also murder people. It's not to suggest that female cops don't commit hate crimes. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not to suggest any of that, but rather that it's not in the archetype. And archetypes are important here. So this notion of, of being male, being powerful, being some kind of a protector, it runs really deep in the male psychology. And there are many aspects of patriarchy that position the man as the protector. In many families, the father, the husband is supposed to be the protector. He's positioned that way. He's positioned himself that way. And he's positioned that way by his family. And so it's not hard to see why these archetypes persist. And of course, the age-old problem with power is that in order to wield it effectively, you need to be responsible. Let's talk about responsibility because responsibility is a complicated concept. And I also think that there are a number of, of synonymous concepts that go with responsibility, which are under-examined in modern culture, perhaps always, perhaps through history as well. Not necessarily a modern problem, but certainly under-examined in our modern culture. And that, you know, responsibility is one word and it calls to mind a number of different images depending on who you are and what you value. But I think a lot of the under-examined aspects of responsibility stem from a working human heart. And what I mean by that is from being a compassionate person. 
I don't think that you can be a truly responsible person without being a compassionate person. So what do I mean by that? The notion of responsibility comes from the idea of having character, having moral fiber, doing the right thing, and being an ethical person. Now, of course, ethics, ethics is deep, right? It's very difficult to unpack. And ultimately, the notion of what's ethical is culturally relative. It's relative individual to individual. There's no way to codify ethics. It's always going to be a moving target. It's always ultimately going to be subjective. However, I believe that what makes an ethical person as well as what makes a responsible person is for somebody to have in some measure and certainly to be qualified as a responsible person to have in sufficient measure the ability to reflect upon their own actions and how those actions will affect other people and how those actions will affect the world. So I think at the heart of responsibility is the ability to look at yourself and look at what you're doing and to say, what will the effects of this be? And will the effects be good? Am I working for the greater good in doing what I'm doing? And a lot of the ability to do that comes from the ability and the willingness to open your heart to the experiences of other people. So for example, when you're a police officer who's subjugated a black man, put him in handcuffs, has him on the floor, and have your knee pressed on his neck, I would posit that any heartfelt, responsible person at that point would say, I have successfully subjugated my opponent, and it's now time to move the process along. It's now time to get this person up and put him in the cop car. It's now time to take my knee off this person's neck in the very least. It's now time to reassess the situation and see what a correct course of action can be. Warriors need a certain amount of power to do their job, right? Cops need a certain amount of power to do their job. I think most, most reasonable people understand that. And where we get into trouble is when cops overstep when they use force that's not warranted in the situation. And when they kill people that just frankly don't need to be killed. When they kill people that don't deserve to be killed. When they kill people who are unarmed. When they kill people who are already subjugated. When they kill people who weren't committing a crime in the first place. I believe what happened in this particular case went beyond a simple abuse of power. I think abuse of power was definitely at the heart of it, but I think that a lot of cops overstep and make mistakes. But I think that in this particular case, there was an additional psychopathy. This cop was clearly someone who calmly in their mind knew they wanted to murder someone. This really is a, it's a calculated murder. I don't think any argument can be made against that. I mean, watching the video, there's just no other interpretation of what that police officer was trying to do or what their intended outcome was. And there's just the something deeply malignant in the human psyche, which too often ends up being in the male psyche at work here. There are too many male serial killers. There are too many men strangling people to death. There are too many men subjugating weaker people and killing them, whether they are weaker in terms of having less privilege, whether they are physically weaker, whether they are weak and under your power due to subjugation, whether they are socially weaker, as was the case here. George Floyd was a black man, 
and therefore had no rights. His power in court was weaker, and clearly his power in the face of police violence was weaker. So this notion of subduing and overpowering a weaker person to get yourself off on your own power, right? What it, it feeds something. The act of doing that feeds something. And as we see with, with serial killers, there's this ongoing hunger to be in that situation, right? To be in that position, to be powerful enough to be able to choke the life out of somebody else calmly and to enjoy it and to want to do it again. If you watch that video and you see the end of it, you can see the cop after the act. He's walking around in a bit of a daze. He's drunk on the act. He's in a state. It's clear that he's like, I just killed that man. And there's something happening for him. So I think men have to look at that. Men have to look at that impulse to dominate, that impulse to be stronger than, to overpower and to overcome. And that impulse to not just take it to the point of subjugating your opponent, subjugating whoever it is that you've been mandated to subjugate. It's not just winning in that regard. It's like you have to, it goes further. There's a deeper hunger there. So many police officers, so many military service people, so many warriors have a certain point at which they've completed their mandate, but then they go beyond. Then they take it to the next level. Then they continue to inflict violence. They escalate the violence. It's in service of some particular psychology of power, some particular psychology of being stronger than, of having enough power to end another person's life, and having the impunity to do so as well. Feeling that you can do it without repercussion. Feeling that you don't have to be responsible. You can do as you please and not have to worry that you'll be held to account. This is a real male problem. It's a men's problem. Unchecked power. And when you live in a patriarchal culture, it's the wind is at your back as a man doing things like this. The institutions are designed to protect you. They're designed to protect you as a white person. They're designed to protect you as a man. They're designed to protect you when you're in a certain economic class or above. There are so many of these implicit protections which stop a person's reasonable mind from saying, I've gone far enough to think I can go as far as I like. It's not going to come back on me. You see this every day with men overstepping in the street, talking with other people in their inappropriate pursuits of women. This idea of I can do this and get away with it. If men didn't feel like they could consistently get away with it, they wouldn't do it as consistently. It's as simple as that. If the repercussions were stronger and more constant and more consistent, you wouldn't see it as much. If you've been enjoying the Gentleman podcast, I'd like to ask you for your help. Growing a community and an online presence takes a lot of participation from listeners such as yourself to really help things take off. If you value this show and it has been meaningful in your life, help me out by doing one of the following. Leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen. Recommending it via word of mouth to your friends and family is another massive way that you can help this podcast grow. Following on social media and liking the content, Gentleman Podcast is our Instagram handle. You can also find us on YouTube at Gentleman Podcast, three words. I really appreciate your help and your support. It's one of the things that will help me to keep making this content and to keep making it better as well. Thank you. 
So that's really what this whole situation has got me thinking about, is this male tendency to abuse power, this male tendency to want to inflict suffering as a way of reinforcing personal power, as a way of asserting power, and how that feeds the ego, how that feeds a certain need in a person. And what's that need? I think it is very basis, it's actually we're not talking about morality anymore. We're talking about deep lack of something. I think a lot of immoral acts are not committed because a person so much lacks morality as just that they have a deeper wound. There's a deeper problem. And so the frontal lobe processing of the morality they know is there. I think most people have a fair barometer for what's moral and what's not. But there's like a reptilian brain deeper need to assert something else, and it overcomes that reasoning function. Someone is compelled by insecurity, perhaps by trauma, by previous experiences in their life, perhaps even, and this is getting a little more esoteric, but by the thrust of your culture. People do things that are in line with the values of the culture. Sometimes it's kind of hard to piece it apart, but they're just, they're compelled, they're compelled to do it. A shape exists for that action in the world. An expectation is there for it to happen. And so it happens. Again, it's a bit of an esoteric way of putting it, but this is why history repeats. And this is why people continue to do things that just don't make sense. They just shouldn't be happening. So there's a deeper and more irrational part of a person that's being served in situations like this. And I think for a lot of men, it's this meditation on power. A lot of men are bullied when they're children. A lot of men have fathers who intimidate them, who abuse them, or other male family members or other male community members who abuse and mistreat them. And a lot of these men grow up looking for power. They grow up wanting revenge. They grow up wanting to be the abuser instead of the abused. Sometimes they feel like the world owes it to them. Sometimes they feel like, if only I could do that to another person, I could get back on top. I could start to feel agency as a human being. I could start to feel like someone who deserves respect. Notice the root of those words, responsibility and respect. They come from the same place. In conclusion, I think this is another incident in a series of incidents longer than anyone could possibly track or remember or collate that reminds us that men need self-examination. Men need to be raised differently. They need to have different expectations of what a man could be modeled to them in the culture. Men need help. Men need help while they're still boys. They need help to push them in the direction of growing up to be compassionate and responsible adults. And when that doesn't happen, you see things like this. And we'll just continue to see things like this. It's so easy. As a man, it's so easy to end up there and to do that, to do things like that, to comport yourself in that way. There's a deep groove carved in the culture that allows for men to be this way. And it takes a lot of work. It takes work on the part of parents raising their boys. It takes work on the part of each boy and each man to do the work of self-examination. It's going to take work in our institutions to restructure themselves in a way that says, no, we're not going to put up with this. It's just going to take a lot of work. Thank you for listening to this episode. And I want to appreciate all of the people out there who are doing the work to continue to examine themselves and examine the places in which they are abusing power in their lives. 
for all a man with the humility to look at themselves and say, boy, I, I overstep in my life. I'm not being responsible enough. I'm not spending enough time in the heart. I'm behaving in ways that are hurtful in the world and I need to stop it. It's hard work and it needs to be done. So if you're doing that work in any measure, I appreciate you. And the good news is that your humanity is at the other side of that work. Your humanity is the light at the end of the tunnel. And it feels good. Being human feels good. You feel like you're in the right place and doing the right thing. If you're one of the few people who took the time to listen to this, then I appreciate you. Thank you and take care out there in the world.